This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Impact Outdoors Podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in today for this week's episode. My name is Derek York, your host, and really looking forward to bringing you some some great conversations with some people in the hunting and fishing industry and, and people that are all across the United States doing things in their communities to, to get people involved in hunting and fishing and conservation and just all the amazing things people are doing Um, there's a lot of great things going on and we want to help kind of bring some of that to light and and introduce some new people to you and some people that you probably already know so this this first episode is a um, is a really good one one I've really um, had high on my list of initial people to talk to and we got real lucky reached out to a good friend Aaron Warbritton from the hunting public and we happened to be up in Missouri at Christmas the same time he was there and and uh got to go and, and sit down with him for a few hours and visit and and uh, learn all about the hunting public and how it got started and stuff and i really hope you enjoy this episode these are some great guys aaron aaron's salt of the earth and, and a really good person to know and i uh, really enjoyed our, our our time with him um, at christmas and uh hope you enjoy this episode so here you go here's aaron warburton all right. Well, thanks for joining us for our podcast today. We've got a pretty special guest here, um, Aaron Warbritton from the Hunting Public and the Wood Guys Inc. with us today. And uh, we are doing this in Columbia, Missouri right now, up here for Christmas. And uh, reached out to Aaron a few weeks back and he graciously replied and and uh, here we are. Here Let's we are. So it's a good thanks. night for a podcast. It's pouring rain outside. It's miserable. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, thanks for agreeing to do this. No and, problem. Um, excited to have you on. Um, so, 
you know, everybody's always, you know, following you guys a lot on social media and stuff. And uh, I just got a few quick questions, you know, just kind of kick things off and, and uh, kind of learn some more about you and, and see um, see what you like, you know. What's your favorite band? My favorite band? Ooh, man, how much time you got? Well, I got all <laughs> night until the batteries run out. Because right before, right before we started recording this, me and my roommate were downstairs playing all sorts of music. We got a whole band room down there and all kinds of recording equipment and everything. He's pretty good at, you know, he's a good musician. I'm very novice. I play the drums and just bang away at everything. But anyway, I like Metallica, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I nice. like uh, Johnny Cash a lot. I even listen to some old school Dr. Dre sometimes. Oh, I've nice. got I like old country, you know, rap, heavy metal, all sorts of stuff. A little bit of everything. Yeah. yeah. I listen to pretty much everything, I guess. So, really like classic rock. So, oh yeah, me too. Um, a lot of the new stuff, but um, so Star Wars just came out. Yeah, were you a Star Wars fan or a Star Trek fan growing I'm up? I'm a Star a Wars fan. Yeah, I have not seen the new one that came out yet. The last one I didn't like very much, but pretty much every other Star Wars movie that I watched before that one I liked. Yeah, yeah. Well, I took my uh, niece and nephew to see it last night here at the movie theater and. Uh, they didn't say a word the whole time going and during the movie. I heard a few, you know, giggles and, yeah. and laughs and stuff. But when we got back in the car, they were going crazy talking they about everything. It, cool. it was cool seeing kids so excited about something like that. That's good. And uh, But it was a good movie. You'll like it. I won't spoil it. So. Sweet. Yeah, I'm anxious to see it. Um, so if you had to fight somebody like Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger, who would you pick? Oh, man. Between the two of them? Between the two of them. Oh, geez. I have to pick? I can't. There's not like an option C where you just run away? I guess you could. <laughs> I don't know. Probably I, probably Arnold. I feel like I could run underneath his legs and maybe escape. That's exactly my thoughts. I could probably outrun him. He seems like he's a little bit slide. slow and – you know, lumbers yeah. long. But Rocky, you know, nah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd catch he'd catch both of us probably. So yeah. um what's the last concert that you went to? You do any concerts? Uh, yeah. Or? Yeah. I used to go to a lot more of them. I'm trying to think. Last one I went to was probably just here in town, like watching local bands and such. Um I went to Willie Nelson and friends a couple of years ago in Kansas City at the Starlight Theater. That was really sweet. Uh, Robert Willie. Earl Keane was there. Willie was there. And Dwight Yoakam was there. I've seen Dwight Yoakam a couple of times. I saw him in Nashville once. That was fun. And, uh, yeah, I've seen a bunch of bunch of country concerts yep. and a few others over the years. I love going to them. I wish I had more time to go to them. Yeah, I think that's one – one concert I regret going to see when we, uh, my wife and I were in uh, school together in Stillwater, Oklahoma, was uh, Johnny Cash. Yeah, that before he passed away, one. didn't go. Man, what he do died you do? like I think two years later, three yep. years later, something like that. And oh man, that was that was bad. But um, one I regret not going to see. But you know, we go to a lot of concerts. Um, when we live down in Houston, it's pretty cool because you get everybody. I bet so comes there. It was just overwhelming how many if you like going to shows it's a good place to live yeah so. i saw metallica in the rain once in st louis outside at the at the stadium and that was pretty sweet like they were out there and it was like pouring rain it was not lightning or anything otherwise yeah. you wouldn't be out there 
but it was pouring rain and they were and they like went off stage and were like you know dang it that's going to be the end of it but then they came out and they're like don't worry we're waterproof and then they played the rest of the the set just Mm -hmm. yeah everybody was just getting poured on they didn't even care i thought that was pretty cool yeah we uh we had a crazy one and uh in Stillwater one time before the opening football game, they had a thing called Orange Peel at OSU, and they would usually have like a comedian and a, and a musician come in and kind of a, you know get together for all the fans and everything. And I remember that year Sinbad was a comedian. Oh yeah, old school. He's hilarious. And uh, I'm trying to remember who the music act was. I think it was Faith Hill. And they had storms blow in, and being in Oklahoma. Yeah, we had tornado warnings yeah, and that, everything going on, and they ended up having to cancel the concert and like midway through because the lightning got so bad, and uh, it was crazy watching thirty, forty thousand people trying to get out. There. Yeah, storms so, down there get pretty dicey. Yeah, yeah, Oklahoma, we got some crazy weather. So, well, um, how much fishing do you do? You get to do fishing very much, or I love to fish. I don't get to go as much as I'd like. Recently, I've been fishing more and more because my girlfriend has two little boys, and there's a pond right up the road from their house, and they're yeah. always begging to go fishing. So we awesome. we go up there and catch bass and bluegill and catfish and stuff. We're you know when the weather's nice, we go up there as much as we can. Yeah. But uh, I went. I used to go on fishing trips and stuff all the time that were a blast, but you know spend obviously more time hunting now, now. Yeah. but yeah. i got to i went out west and went fishing with my buddy michael um in montana for trout this last summer and that was really fun yeah, that's fly nice. fishing those little streams out in montana yeah have you ever got to do any saltwater fishing i have but it's been a long time it's been 15 years ago yeah since i went Where's and i was at? in i was in florida in the everglades yeah and that was pretty fun well, we caught all kinds of fish we got to get you, when you come to Texas, we'll get you out fishing, hopefully. That'd be, so. that'd be pretty sweet. The boy, I know the boys would love to go down there yeah. and try that. Yeah, well, that's, uh, we'll see if we can make that happen sometime. We, everything um, everything down there bites, though, has teeth, which yeah. is a big change from freshwater unless you're fishing for walleye or something. But, sure. But uh, it's crazy because you literally do not know what you're going to catch. Yeah, that'd be there. fun. So it could be a bait fish or a. 300 pound shark on the yeah. line so <laughs> yeah um, it's pretty cool we've seen some pretty cool stuff down there fishing on the coast um so do you have a, a favorite quote or anything like that that you oh. kind of go by or mm, there's a lot of them there's a lot of good quotes i'm trying to think of one right off the top of my head um my old boss used to tell me all the time he was a he's a mentor you know and kind of mm-hmm. the way that i look at work ethic anyway because i worked at an appliance store for a while when i was in college this is just a quick story but he's a small business owner entrepreneur and he uh owns his own appliance business and he had a couple of people working there including myself and I learned a lot from him because I would always come in on time or five minutes early in the morning, and I never once beat him to work. He was always there. And he would – and at times throughout the day, I mean, I was a 20-year-old kid 
in college and I'd be goofing off in there, you know, I'd mm-hmm. be messing around on my phone, taking a break or whatever. And he would never say nothing to me. He would just pick up, I mean, he would pick up a broom and be sweeping the floor or he'd be cleaning the, the toilet in the bathroom. And this is the owner of the business, you know, always doing something. Yeah. He's always, do- and he was doing like the lowest of the low work that you could do there. And he would never tell me that I should go do it or anything like that. And I just eventually would be like, Hey, you know, Marv, I'll help you do that. And he would always tell me, he'd be like, it's all right. I got, I don't want to stare at work. And I always remembered that. I was like, don't stare at work. So every day when you get up, if you're looking at, and you know, you're getting ready to go to work and you're looking at a bunch of work, mm-hmm. don't leave it sit there until you got it done. Yep. So that was what I learned from him anyway. And you don't see that very often anymore. Yeah. These days, I mean, I don't know, in my opinion, the work ethic's gone in most places, you know, and I tell everybody, you know, where I work, you know, there's always something to be done, you know, you know, there's always something to take care of or whatever, and, and, uh, day goes better, the more you get accomplished, so mm-hmm. just like I said, starting off the day right. Yeah, and I, so. I like that quote, uh, you know, take your kids hunting and you won't have to hunt for your kids. Yeah. You've heard that, I'm oh, sure, yeah. before. And I think that's pretty true. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm biased about it. But. Yeah. No, it's true. So, my, I've got um, my friend Chris Fisher who um, runs the O-Certs, the big shark tagging group. He uh, First time I met him, he was giving a talk down in Houston. And um, he said something, you know, his dad always told him. It was this real short quote, just, but, you know, mean, meant a lot to him was just, an inch is a cinch, and a yard is hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, pretty much sums it up right <laughs> yeah. there. So. Yep, that's right. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, so that's cool. So, well, um, I guess, you know, we can start off just kind of when you were a kid, you know, who was your biggest influence growing up as far as getting out in the outdoors and, and stuff? Uh, my dad, certainly, without a doubt, uh, he was not a hunting expert, still is not by any stretch. He is not near as excited about it as I am, and he never really has been. But he's always enjoyed going, mm-hmm. you know. And when I was a kid, and he was the same with fishing too, you know. He he loved the outdoors, loved to hunt and fish, but he just didn't spend, you know, he never got super serious into it. Well, when I was a kid, he used to take me fishing. I loved to go fishing, so I would just beg him to go all the time. And he always took me. And then once I got up to be five, six, seven years old, I was always asking about going hunting. So anytime he would go and he would shoot something, before he would go recover it, he'd come to the house and get me and we'd go blood trailing with him. That's cool. Or he would just take me and we'd walk around the woods. I think that was a big deal for me because he did not take it so seriously. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't care. He He took me almost every single time that I asked him to. And which is a lot yeah. because I was, you know, a seven-year-old kid. So every other day of the week, I'm nagging him to do something with me, you know, take me hunting or fishing. Mm-hmm. And most of the time he'd be like, yeah, let's go hunting. And we'd walk around the woods and look at, you know, birds and frogs and deer tracks and see deer and we'd spook them and they'd run off and we'd work on deer stands at the house and all that stuff. But that's the thing that I remember the most when I was little is it was never very serious at all. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where I was like 11, 12 years old, and I was getting so serious into it that Dad would want to go to the house, and I'd be like, nah, we ain't leaving. There's a turkey gobbling in there. 
you know, he hasn't gobbled for an hour, but he's back there somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. dad would be like, come on, let's go get some donuts or something. But yeah. I think, you know, and once I got to that point, my cousins and my uncles were more serious about hunting. And I started learning like more specific things about woodsmanship and that sort of thing mm-hmm. from my uncles and my cousins. We kind of all learned as a family and even through my dad's buddies at his deer camp, mm-hmm. you know, cause he's, he's had the same friends now since long before I was born and they've all had this tradition of this deer camp that they do every year. And I learned a lot from them as well hunting. So it, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily one person I learned from is kind of a group. Yeah you know, a family oriented thing, but everybody, everybody was, was different in the way that they approached it. So that was, that was intriguing to me growing up was just learning how to do all that stuff from so many different perspectives. Yeah. And I think that's cool because, you know, when kids are young, you know, we've got a three-year-old and an almost six-year-old, um, you can't push them you can't take it seriously, you know. You got to ease them into it and make sure it's fun. I mean, we've been doing that all week up here in Missouri with our two kids out in my wife's mom's farm and uh, just going out every day and looking. We've spooked up a bunch of deer and yeah. looking for rubs and tracks and turkey tracks and uh, uh, Bigfoot, stuff like that. I think yeah. we actually found some hair off Bigfoot on one of the back fences. <laughs> nice. Um Kind of freaked me out a little bit because I don't know where that came from, but right. uh, uh, never know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, um, and that's good, you know, make the impression, you know, like you said, with your girlfriend's kids, you know, have them the age they're at now and, and growing up, getting them outdoors and getting them interested. And, and that's probably the biggest thing, you know, going forward now, getting into the hunting aspect and getting more people outdoors is you got to start them young. Mm-hmm. you know and i wasn't fortunate enough to have like my dad didn't hunt he fished a little bit when i was young but hunting was way way outside of my ballpark i fished and that was it sure and i always told myself if i ever start hunting i won't have time to fish as much yeah and i'll be spending more money on you know let's split my money on the things and boy that was f- for sure right <laughs> um i don't think i started hunting until uh, we moved to texas back in 2004 so pretty late to the game, but um, kind of figured a lot of it out on my own, you know. But I want to give that opportunity to my kids, you know, at the age they're at now. So we get them out as much as possible. So um, so you, you worked at Midwest Whitetail? Yes, sir. So how was that? What did you all do there? Y'all were video um, editors? or Bill hired me as an intern in 2011. And there was four other interns that were there in 2011. Uh, one of them actually lives in this house yeah. right now, um, you know, that I split rent with. And, uh, yeah, he hired me in 2011. He hired Greg in 2010 as a full-time employee. And I eventually became a full-time employee later on in 2011. And then I worked for him until midsummer 2017 and learned all kinds of stuff there. Bill has been in the hunting industry for a long, long time and, like, is a very, very smart business guy. And I learned a tremendous amount from the business side of things Mm -hmm. through him and learned a lot about the video editing and stuff just through our office that we had there because it was just kind of a melting pot of, of guys from all over the country that all were interested in video. 
especially video on the internet, right? You know, because we we're all young and learning. And Greg was kind of the tip of that spear, um, as far as knowledge went. And everybody kind of learned. You learn from him, and then you learn from each other because there were so many of us in that office all the time. So it was a really great experience, a great atmosphere to be in for several years. And it was almost like boot camp for semi-live video editing. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but there was, you know, there was TV producers out there that were professionals, obviously, and we weren't. We were still kids working at Midwest. But there was TV producers out there producing 20 to 30 episodes a year. They were about 22, 23 minutes long each. Mm-hmm. And we were editing, you know, it, there was one year where I probably edited 150 to 200 videos in a year, Jeez. ranging from three, four minutes long to 30 or 40 minutes long. Yeah. And, you know, that over the course of four or five years amounts to a hundreds and hundreds of videos that you edit and you become really really fast at it and i didn't really think about it at the time but that has certainly carried over to what we do now right on youtube yeah and how we crank out content so fast yeah y'all are intense yeah we're not i mean we're not greg is a more polished (laughs) editor and can do the you know the the cleaner fancier stuff but uh and he's definitely that's his strength um I, my strength is I'm just really fast at it. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't do the best job necessarily, but I learned to be efficient in all those years editing all those videos. Huh. Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, um, I first started, I found you guys on Amazon mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago or something like that. And um, sit there and binge the whole first turkey tour, I guess that's on Amazon Prime and and uh, it's like, man, these guys are putting out videos, like, every day, almost. Most people, it's like, maybe one a week, you know, two a week, something like that. But, um, and, uh, and y'all are up to, like, the deer tour this year, like, 60-something videos already for this season. So, that's pretty incredible. Um, do y'all do, I mean, I imagine y'all have to do a lot of that out, out in the field now, too, or? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got a little laptop most of us do in the group and we'll just if we're if we have the camper we'll just plug into the side of it and edit right there. I mean I've edited it in the front seat of a truck, I've edited it at a coffee table outside of Starbucks at three in the morning. Yeah. Just anywhere. And a lot yep. of local library on the steps outside. <laughs> I mean, just anywhere. Yeah. That's cool. Um so you said you and you and Greg were there. No was Zach and, and yep. them they were Greg started in 2010. I started in 2011. Hired Zach as an intern in 2015. And uh, then he eventually became full-time in 2016. Yep. So where did uh, Mr. Jake come in? Uh, Jake was actually hired as an intern at MW2. Okay. You know, and he hadn't been there very long at the the time. And uh, when, you know, we all decided to leave, we all kind of – decided to leave at a different time and for different reasons but you know i was sitting around after i left i just got done talking to bill and the way that it worked is when i left it was at a tough time of year for him because he was just getting into the season a little bit and uh 
so him and I agreed that I would help him with some editing and some projects throughout the fall just as a subcontractor. Mm -hmm. So I was still working for him for like six, seven months after I, you know, left as an employee. Transition out. Yeah, but I was like, I was honestly just burnt out, and I was like, man, I'm going to go back to working on appliances. I was seriously, like, I, that's what I did when I was in college. I enjoyed doing that. I mean, I never have really cared a bunch about money. I mean, it never has been a real motivating factor for me. And, uh, yeah, I was sitting around thinking about doing that. And, you know, Greg called me up and uh, said, hey, I want to, you know, come over to the house. We'll sit down and talk. And we, uh, I went over there. And, like I said, I was just thinking about maybe – you know, just going back to working on appliances, maybe doing some contractor work, some construction work, and doing some subcontracting, like video editing stuff mm-hmm. on the side, start my own business that way. And we yeah. got to talking. We're like, well, let's, you want to try this idea? And like, I guess, why not? Um, we had, and you know, we had no money and no aspirations of, you know, no grand plan really at the time other than, you know, just creating something for people like us because we're just regular, average people. The The only thing that we feel makes us special is that we love to hunt. Right. We love, love, love being out there. Like, it doesn't matter if you shoot a big buck or if you shoot a doe or if you take a kid. If you just go out there and you totally fail, it's just awesome. So... And we kind of all had held that common ground, and we all came from similar backgrounds, mm-hmm. you know, and, and felt like average folks, you know, hunting on a budget, maybe they only have a, a week's vacation every year, you know, to take a trip somewhere or something. We just felt like we could relate to them. Yeah. And and so we wanted to, to start something. And a big driving factor at the time was the hunter – recruitment retention and reactivation issues that we are facing we're like man you know we love hunting and we're losing hunters like crazy right now and this is in 2017 and it had been going on for a few years at that time and now it's even worse but that was a why do you think that is i mean there's a number of reasons i think and without going too far down the rabbit hole it's it's because of the times the kids nowadays don't you know gravitate towards a actual physical mentor as much as they once did you know we grew up hunting we had somebody like we were talking about earlier my dad took me every single time i asked him and there was you know check-in stations where you would go and you would socialize with other hunters in the community you knew what the neighbor was doing you knew the farmer down the road, you know, would let you hunt. And mm-hmm. now kids are in cell phones yep. and technology is Can't put it down. is everywhere. But, I mean, that's just one of many, many reasons. The, the thing that we thought we could help was we could show people they could have a positive experience going out on small private properties or public land. Mm-hmm. We're like, that's what we do, and that's how we grew up hunting. So let's try to show people, especially new people to hunting, that you can go out there and you can have a fun experience and involve your friends and your family. Yep. And you don't have to spend a fortune either. Right. That's. I mean, most people, I mean, if you get into hunting, you're going to spend some money. Right. And but access is start, a huge, 
huge start. issue. You really don't have to spend that much. But, you know, as far as the recruitment thing, um, it's the same with fishing, you know. And to me, it's – one thing we've been working on down in Texas is it's more family-oriented. So you mm-hmm. got to get the family involved. you got to get the parents involved because if you don't get the parents involved, they're not going to give that push to the kids to get them outdoors. And we see that time and time again. Um, you know, with our NWTF chapter, we take um, – every spring we go up and we take a bunch of kids from kind of inner-city Houston area, never been outdoors. I mean, these kids, they won't even get out of the bed of the truck first time they seen a pig run across the road or something you know and uh never knew that stuff was even out there and here we are throwing them out in the woods and for a couple of days and and uh showing them about predator prey relationships and the east eastern turkey um, reestablishment down there in east texas and uh um by the end of the time there you know they're they're hooked they are hooked mm-hmm. you know they want to get out they want to come back the next year and bring more friends and uh that program's grown every year, you know, and so we just keep trying to do stuff like that. And, you know, you never know. It might just take reaching one kid. <laughs> when they yeah. grow up, they can reach hundreds of people, you know, through right. that. So, and that's what you guys are doing. I mean, that's what that's what hooked me first episode I watched. You know, it was just, it's real. And the one thing I always, I guess, didn't hate watching fishing and hunting shows growing up, but it was always success. Mm-hmm. One success after another, you know, it was like, how's Bill Dance going to all these ponds and catching these 10, 12-pound bass every week? You know, I can't do that. You know, I don't shoot a deer every time I go hunting. And y'all show both sides of that, you know. And, and, uh, and it's good for people to see that because that is real and that happens to people, you know. I mean, I don't know how many times, you know, I had opportunities before I got a good buck. My first good buck I ever shot, you know, I a lot of close calls and stuff, but um, didn't just go out there and shoot one. Right. You know, so you know, I really like that about about the about y'all's videos, seeing that and and uh, how to adapt, adapt and overcome the situation. So. Yeah, we just we felt like access was a huge issue, and that's the main thing we harp on is just go to the woods and have fun, regardless of what the outcome is, as far as whether you're putting a tag on something or not. You can be out there in progressing in your learning of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that was really as simple as it got from the outset. I mean, at the time, like I, we're talking about hunter recruitment and stuff, we're all very, very passionate about that because I have, and, and I still do have friends that work with the state agencies, but in 2017 I had a couple of buddies that were working with state agencies, and I was talking to them on a weekly basis, and they were harping to me. They are like, man, I you don't want to see what these projections look like in 10, 15 years. He said, they are just downright scary. They're like, everybody is concerned about all these issues regarding hunting and, you know, anti-hunters and, you know, CWD. And there's all these things that are obstacles that we have to overcome. But they're like, the, the thing that worries us the most is this hunter recruitment issue. And... They, I mean, they were the conversations were getting dark. It was yeah. like you're going to see hunting disappear in states in your lifetime for deer, you know, unless we start to do something. And that really <coughs> lit a fire under us. We we're like, okay, well, you know, we can't slay the dragon by ourselves, but we can certainly show people that there's 
there's access opportunities out there that they can use and that anybody can go do what we're doing. Like that was the message from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, down where we're at in Texas, there's not a lot of public right. land. I mean, it's pretty much, I don't know, 80, 80% private mm-hmm. or more. Um, but, um, you've got some in East Texas and kind of North central up around DFW area. Um, Especially for for turkeys, I mean, sure. There are there are some good spots for turkeys. Oklahoma, you know, growing up, they have a lot of um, WMAs and stuff like that with access, you know, for people to get out. Um, what was your f- first uh, trip out of state, out of Missouri, on public land? Do you remember? Oh man, it's been a long time ago. I think I was sixteen or seventeen, and we were going turkey hunting. We turkey hunted in Illinois. Yeah. And then it just went from there. I've yeah. I've been. <coughs> You know, as a group, we've been in a lot of states deer hunting, but been in a ton of states turkey hunting. I've not turkey hunted in Texas yet, but I've been in 20 some states, close to 30 states hunting turkeys. Yeah. I think. Well, what do we got to do to get you down there? Uh, not much. <laughs> Planning on going down there here pretty soon. So, yeah, we It's found a heck of a lot warmer down there than it is up here. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> not giving anything away, but we, we found a, a new spot this spring that uh, i think is gonna be really good next year so cool um yeah my uh my first experience hunting outside of texas oklahoma was uh um, pronghorn up in wyoming man that was a blast oh yeah i haven't hunted antelope out there but i have several friends that have and they just talk about it nonstop. i was talking to my cousin about it earlier today about going out there antelope hunting at some point yeah it was pretty uh pretty inexpensive i think i did the whole trip for about eight eight hundred nine hundred bucks for mm-hmm. my tags i got three tags uh, buck and two doe tags and then the uh, gas food and lodging you know we went with three other guys yeah um, and them things are good eating you know they they are um where we were they were actually on grass so you know i had you know they have the stigma about them that they taste horrible you know, pronghorn, because mm-hmm. they're eating sagebrush and all this stuff all the time. I've ate a bunch of them, <laughs> and I think they're awesome. Yeah, I've heard the same thing about um, black buck down mm-hmm. in Texas yeah. and the exotics, but uh, we've liked everything we've had. So, yeah, that was a, that was a fun trip. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, it was cheap, you know. Yeah. Do, y'all do, do y'all do any draw stuff, or is it all? Yeah, we do. Not really for deer. Um, for whitetails, but we all, I wouldn't say all of us, but several of us are in Western elk draws every year and are building points in various states and that sort of thing. Cause that's kind of my favorite. If I was, you know, to pick one thing to hunt, it'd be elk. Like I love hunting elk. It's, I've only done it a handful of times, but it's awesome. And I would love to be able to go out and experience the elk rut every year you know, either hunting myself or going with somebody. But, you know, it's just not feasible for us on our budget and, you know, trying to deer hunt and stuff like that. Yeah. And you just, it's just not feasible to draw a license every year um, for a lot of folks. But, yeah, elk hunting is awesome. Yeah, I hope good. to go back next year. Um, some guys at my office, they uh, – used to usually go to Utah every year. Yeah. They went to Colorado this year, and there was three of them that went, and they got two bulls um, in the same spot on different days, which was pretty unique. 
and uh so that's something i haven't done i want to do so yeah probably colorado or new mexico something like that mm-hmm. where you can still you know possibly get some over-the-counter stuff um but uh so with everything you guys have done you know when y'all first started this in 2017 how how immediate did y'all see the impact that it was having like how fast did y'all start to see it grow you know how well, we we decided that YouTube early on was going to be the place that we focused on for distribution. Number one, because the new hunter thing was our, was kind of our goal. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the start, the top of the tree thing. That's what we're that's what we're shooting for is to try to get new hunters. And we researched that a little bit, and you know, we we looked back at like periods of growth within hunting. And I was actually talking to Cuz Strickland Mm -hmm. about this last week. And because I had a lot of, I've had a lot of questions for him and like the Will Primos type guys and the Realtree guys. When they started up Outdoor TV, it was kind of on TNN Outdoors. I don't know if you remember that. And ESPN Outdoors, Tom Miranda had a long standing with ESPN. And what I liked about that from a recruitment standpoint is they were creating media that showed hunting in a good light and to the public it was on a national network at the time tv was like number one media around you know this is 15 yeah. 20 years over well, it's about 20 years ago now yeah. it's changed right it has changed <laughs> a lot but at the time they were putting out hunting content that was super super popular on tnn and they were getting all these viewers that weren't currently hunters they were they were outdoor enthusiasts. They might have been country folks that had access to hunting, but they hadn't quite converted into hunters. And they were getting access to all those new eyeballs, and they were putting on a good face for hunting in general. And I felt like that that type of media had a real, you know, positive impact on me, specifically mm-hmm. growing up, and a lot of other folks. You know, I've talked with Cuz about the numbers that they were reaching back then. It was just astounding the number of people that were watching those shows, like Turkey Call yeah. that NWTF put on on TNN. I, I remember watching it every week. You know, and the amount of people that they reached on that medium that t- was fully public was astounding. And that's kind of what we thought about with YouTube. It's like, you know, if we're trying to gain new hunters, we got to start fishing in a different pond because right now if you you know not to bash outdoor channel or anything like that but you have to pay extra for that Mm -hmm. um and you're going to have a pile of hunters watching that but are people that are new to hunting going to just pay that to go over there and learn about it you know and i don't know maybe they do but i'm just thinking as far as what i would do if I was new to hunting, or if I'm new to anything, if I'm trying to figure out how to fix the muffler on my truck, I go to YouTube, you exactly. know. And if you ask a kid, like, you know, learn how to take out the trash, they're going to go to Google or, or learn how to wash the dishes or whatever. I mean, they might ask you, but they, all these kids nowadays and, and people in general just use their phones to nonstop. You know, it's a blessing and a curse. Obviously, it can go both ways. You don't want them on the phone all day. But at the same time, that's how we were gaining access to them. And we noticed that really early on. Like the first 
few months that we started posting videos, we're getting people commenting on the videos that are like, hey, you know, I went hunting for the first time after watching you guys with some friends from my high school. Or we were even getting people that were saying, you know, I quit hunting a couple years ago. I actually went when I was a kid, but I watched you guys and saw how much fun you were having. So I decided to buy a license and I went back out this year. Yeah. And that was really early on before we were getting, you know, the amount of viewership that we are now. So that, that was a key moment for us. And that's when we kind of really decided we have to learn more about this platform and we have to leverage it in a way that we can reach new audiences. And, and we realized early on, like, well, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that because we're, we're showing people hunting and we want to be as ethical and responsible as we possibly can, you know, when we're filming this stuff because we want to try to put on a good face. I mean, like yeah. I said, I remember watching those guys on TNN Outdoors, and they were all, you know, extremely responsible. They were all focused on the experience of hunting, showing it in a positive light, and I just felt like that was a tremendous marketing tool at the time to gain new people, and that's the way we look at YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. You're not going to pay to get access to something if – you don't even know if you like it. I mean, yeah, you got them. YouTube's and I don't YouTube know. has its shortcomings too. I mean, yeah. uh, hopefully they won't outlaw hunting content at any point, which you know is is certainly a major worry amongst a lot of folks. But when I tell everybody when they bring that problem or concern up, is like, man, if we get booted off these social media platforms, as hunting in general gets booted off of there, we got major problems because of you know, the the serious issue with us is this hunter recruitment thing. We're going to be removed from all these global communication platforms where we could gain new hunters, and we're just going to have our little pool of hunters over here that are watching a streaming app only made for hunters or a channel only made for hunters. Like, yeah. we won't be fishing for, you know, in a new pond anymore. It'll just be us as a group. <clears throat> we got to start really trying to expand that idea. And we do, I mean, we we don't concentrate enough on the organic side of it and all of that as well that, you know, as much as we could, mm-hmm. there's a tremendous potential there to grow hunter numbers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, I mean, the hunting and fishing communities are both basically in the same hole. Yeah. As far as, as far as this getting new people involved and. And, um, I don't know, you start looking at legislation that's being passed and mm-hmm. access taken away and, yeah. and, and, uh, it's a uh, scary time. But the, th- the, the thing is, is that more people in general are, um, participating in outdoor rec. So like across the board, outdoor recreation is going up, hunting is going down and fishing. So it's like. There's people that want to be outside doing something. Like, we just have not, this is the way I feel about it anyway. We just have not reached them. We, mm-hmm. like, our marketing is broken within the industry. And I don't know as much about the fishing industry, obviously. But within the hunting industry, like, we just market, market, market to the existing hunters. It's always about, like, use these tools to kill more big bucks or use these tools to manage your property for more deer and more big bucks it's like 
we're creating a we're creating a more and more serious hunter all the time as an industry and we're losing numbers of hunters in general like a lot of super serious hunters look down on the weekend warrior guys or the guys that only gun hunt every year and those are you know those are where the numbers are that's where those are the numbers we have to keep yeah it's the same thing down on the coast i mean most people are oh man i try to fish during the week as much as possible right just because of traffic on sure. the water i mean in galveston bay man i mean on the weekends there might be two three hundred trailers at a boat ramp oh wow you know and uh that's a lot of people oh, we got a lot of boat yeah. ramps and uh you know it definitely affects the fishing but it's so good to see all those people out there you know and um I don't know. Our the, the population in Texas is growing so fast, yeah. And uh, it, it seems like where we're at, fishing has picked up a lot in the last five years as far as numbers and stuff. I think our license sales in Texas stayed roughly the same, maybe a little increase. But um, um, I think the Houston area in general is supposed to reach four, four and a half, five million people or something like that here in the next few years. And uh, that's a lot of people. Yeah, that's a lot of people. <laughs> so I think it's going to be harder and harder to get more people involved in it. But the more we can teach now, mm-hmm. the more people will have um, to go on. And you know, we talked earlier before we started about the um, the youth deal that we do. Mm-hmm. Me and my wife helped start down in Texas the for the Texas Brigades. You know, I don't. I'm. Sh- some states have stuff like that, but I mean, our whole goal is to create uh, natural resource and conservation ambassadors for the future. People to replace us down the line, and uh, we might only be reaching thirty kids at a camp, but every one of them goes back and and tells their community, does outreach events and media stuff, and just to see the reach from that, you know, from those thirty kids every year is it's pretty in- intense, and. Uh, Especially since we've been with that program for uh, nine, ten years now, and seeing them graduate from college and actually getting real jobs, mm-hmm. making a lot more money than we we are, um, it's pretty cool. And seeing them give back and and stay active in the outdoor community and stuff. So, um, oh, it's way for me personally. That's way more rewarding than shooting yeah, a big buck. Absolutely. Or like I mean, I want to shoot a big buck just as much as the next person you know, that's been hunting for any amount of time. But after you get one, it's kind of like, you know, you got the meat, you start eating it, then you put it on your wall somewhere or whatever, and it's a great memory that you have. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking about the next hunt most of the time. Yeah, I'm thinking about the next thing that we're going to go on or whatever. Like, I don't just sit there and stare at the antlers on the wall all yeah. day. And uh, that's my point is it's like every time somebody messages us, and says, thanks for getting me into hunting, or, you know, I just got my first deer this year, or I got back into it, and I got my first buck with a bow, and it's the greatest thing ever, and they send us a picture of it, and they're grinning from ear to ear, you know, who cares how big the thing is? Oh, yeah. It's awesome just to see how excited they are, because that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. You know. Yep, and uh, I think um, the first time I went turkey hunting, um, I was 
I mean, just it's so much different than deer hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so intense and so you're so involved with it and communicating with these birds and getting them to come so dang close to you. Um, I know the first time that my wife was with me, you know, she's never really wanted to hunt. I mean, she shot guns and stuff, you know, shot guns and stuff growing up. Um, but um, I called a bird in probably eight yards from us. And we just sat there and watched it do its thing, you know, around the decoy. Yeah. And finally, finally shot it. And uh, I'll never forget, I think it was maybe five, ten minutes after we harvested that bird. She's like, I think I can maybe go after a turkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. Uh, she went and got her hunter ed done. And uh, the next year, she got her first bird. Awesome. So, um, and... I guess it was, I took my daughter, um, she was four, and uh, I'll show you this picture. I took her over to my deer lease over in the hill country, and um, we hunted for, it was tough, super windy. Oh, so yeah. you couldn't hear a lot, and so I kind of knew where the, where some roosts were, and we we finally got, got on some birds a couple times, but just never could close the deal. And uh, the last night we were there, um, we set up in just the absolute perfect spot, not knowing it. And, uh, we were probably, probably 150 yards from the roost, but we ended up sitting on the trail that they came by on going back to the tree. And, um, so we got a, we got a bird and when I shot that bird, I'll never forget Hadley. She was, she had her ear muffs on we were in a pop-up blind and, uh, she about busted through the roof flap jumping up so high because daddy had shot that turkey with her and uh so i opened the door and she ran you know the birds sitting there flopping all over the place and i just remember her screaming just yeah. yelling she was so freaking excited oh yeah it's like, oh, that's so that's so that's cool. so cool that's awesome yeah. so, and you hear people talk about it and and it's like you know it's not the same but when you get them there and you see them that excitement when it happens it's like holy cow yeah that's her there yeah so. that's awesome and uh, she's just she's ready to go. So I think we get back back to Texas um, in a couple of days, and I'm gonna take her up. So hopefully we can get some get a deer or something. So and uh, I've already got her uh, her first bear bow in the gun safe, ready for her. Oh, cool! Another year or so. Hopefully she can start shooting that, and, and uh, we'll see what happens. So. She may come up here and give you guys a run for your money. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So she's definitely into that stuff, and, and uh, our boy is too. So, but, uh, so <clears throat> watching all the shows and everything, all the videos and stuff, you know, there's a, I mean, y'all, y'all, y'all have had some crazy, crazy stuff happen and being able to capture that. Um, but, uh, this, this season's deer tour. Tell us a little bit about uh, Herman. Huh. <laughs> is he still together? Oh no, in one piece. He's quite dismembered he at the... this point. He's in. A, he's a little rough for the wear. Let's just put it this way: if if you give anything with multiple parts to our group, it's gonna get lost or ruined in a matter of days. We're talking usually. about a deer decoy. Yes. For those of you who don't know who Herman is, we're hard on stuff. We are. I mean, we're a bunch of guys. We're not really that organized. 
And, I mean, Ted it does a good job of putting his name on stuff and keeping track of things. But the rest of us, we just kind of fly by the seat of our pants. So, yeah. anyway, Herman's – probably because y'all grabbing each other's stuff. I know every time you see him, he's got his, he's got his name on everything. Oh, yeah. Yep. So. He does. And I've started to do that more and more because yeah. I'm like, you know what? That's a good idea. <laughs> and uh, But, anyway, Herman – We've had him for a couple years. He got wet, and the foam swelled up on him, so had to sand that down and and then tape it and clear coat it and to get him to fit back together. And he's got these foam antlers that are detachable with a magnet. Right. And I Jake was using it. I don't. I think it was Jake that lost them, but it might have been Ted. It might have been me. I don't know. But anyway, somebody lost them foam antlers for him. So Jake took a skull-capped buck that he killed in Wisconsin several years ago, and he fashioned a string around Herman's head to try to get that the real antlers tied around Zip it. Zip ties and duct tape. It was just it was ridiculous. He got it to work, but then he gave it to me, and me and Ted took it out hunting. And I don't have a tremendous amount of patience for this. So I got out there, and me and Ted were starting to put this decoy out. We have him in a frame pack so we can get him to and from the field easier. And I tried getting those antlers tied on there, and I was losing my mind. I said, to heck with this. And I threw him in the ditch, and I, we climbed up in the tree, and we hunted for a while and got down. And me and Ted went back to town. We're like, okay, <clears throat> there's got to be a better way to do this. And we eventually super glued the real antlers to his head. And... That's what we were hunting with um, through mid-November. We were using him a bunch then. Mm-hmm. He's pretty yeah. beat up, though. We got to get a new one. He yeah. worked, though. He, he definitely worked. Yeah. I mean, it's he crazy did. watching those deer come into those decoys. I was a little skeptical. Greg has the most <laughs> experience with deer coming to decoys. I've I've shot a couple of, of really nice bucks over them. One with me and Zach a few years ago at Midwest Whitetail, and then that one this year with Ted. But I haven't really used them all that much. I mean, probably less than a dozen times ever. And the thing with Herman is he's a Reinhardt Deloma buck decoy, and he's kind of two-dimensional. You know, so I'm always worried that the deer's going to get head on, and they're going to look, and they're going to see, like, this this one-inch thin <laughs> deer decoy, and it's not going to look realistic. Because when you're bow hunting, you got to have them commit all the way in. You know, if you're gun hunting, you get one coming to a decoy, you can wax him before he gets in close enough to figure out what's going on. Right. So I was always worried about that with Herman, but we put those real antlers on him, and that buck that I shot with Ted came right to him. Yeah. It was awesome. It's kind of like a turkey just putting a real fan up in the air, man. Yeah, right. It drives him crazy. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I know a lot of guys that I hunt with for turkeys, man, they use them when we're hunting public land. You know, they're using fans and stuff, and I'm just like, yeah. nope. Not me. Yeah, you got to be super careful doing that stuff. <laughs> so, which brings up something else. So, when you know the your Iowa gun opener yeah. episode that y'all just downloaded, man. Holy crap! What were you thinking when all that was going on? Oh man, I was really nervous. I've been in a similar situation before, actually on our own farm, outside of Paris, Missouri, on private land. Um, but that was shoot you know 16 years ago or whatever but yeah that morning was was pretty wild um with all the people coming in and the and the shots zinging by me and whatnot i was actually after i filmed it all happen 
So you were by yourself. Yeah, I was by myself. And basically, for those of you listening that haven't watched the video, there was a, a big group of hunters that came to the public land that I was on, and they were pushing deer. And somehow or another, a group of deer got in between me and another hunter, and he shot at a deer my direction. Right in front of you. <laughs> right at me. And you know he had to see you. He he had to have. Um, he might just not know, you know, that buck that's fever. not a safe shot. Or, yeah, he got buck fever or something. I don't know. But he shot right at me a couple of times, and the bullets were whizzing by me and stuff. And uh, it didn't he look like he hit one of the deer? Yeah, he did hit did he? one of the deer he in the one. back end doe. And, uh, <sighs> yeah, it was just not a safe situation. I was actually very hesitant to even put it up to post that video because I don't I don't want a lot of – like I said, YouTube is – it's it's an opportunity as is any social media to reach new people and i was really worried that posting that there would be new hunters or non-hunters that saw it and then thought like well this is what hunting is like it's this very unsafe activity i don't want my kids going out there doing that you know i'm not going out there doing that that guy almost got shot but the reason why i decided to go ahead and post it was because we talked about in the video like that is exactly what not to do don't put yourself in that situation. And if you are going hunting, you have to be mindful of your what is beyond your target, especially when you're gun hunting. Yeah. So we felt like it was a good lesson, you know, to show people. <clears throat> we had something similar, not that drastic, but when we were in Wyoming on the pronghorn hunt. It was opening weekend, and uh, I forgot which section we were on, but um, it was opening, opening day. There was a lot of hunters out there. I mean, there was orange everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those, those antelope, somebody's shooting at a herd, and they run two, three miles over here, and there's be like four or five hunters spaced out, and they're all shooting at them. And, uh, High-powered rifles. Yeah. And uh, All it takes is for them things to skip the bullets and skip across the top of the yeah, ground. Yeah, I mean, you don't really think about it that much when you're out there because, I mean, it's just adrenaline's running, and you're, right. you're, you're wanting to get an animal. But uh, um, luckily, the buck that we got on the first day um, – there was, I don't know, he was bedded on a hillside, and we seen probably four or five other groups of hunters behind him that couldn't see him. So we had to be really careful coming up to him, thinking, you know, if he jumps up in between us and them, you know, because I think if he would have stood up much, they would have, they probably was, because he was right below a ridge crest, and uh, um, we ended up sneaking up there, crawling, and got him while he was there <coughs> um, before he got, before he got up, but, uh, yeah, I've had a couple times where I've been out and uh, I had some people fire off some shots that were a little too close, but but seeing it on video, that was uh that was crazy. So yeah, I was I was definitely spooked a little bit when they started running out there. I'm like, oh no! I pulled up my binos and I could see he had that gun pointed my direction. Now, a lot of people were, were like, "Were you not?" A lot of people were were griping at me because I wasn't standing up and waving, but I did. I was waving. You just didn't see yeah. that portion of the gopro clip because it was him mm -hmm. but yeah i was going crazy i right. was i was whistling at him i was waving at him but i know he could see me yeah. there's nothing in it i mean you saw my vantage point he's in the wide open and i'm yeah. no different on that hillside like there ain't nothing in between him and i but Man. yeah just not a safe situation it's crazy you got to be careful and uh um 
you know, and a lot of that stuff, you know, they don't teach in the hunter ed classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like here in Missouri. I know in, in Texas and uh, even in Oklahoma where I got certified, you know, a lot of it, even back then, it was online. Or you do a workbook and then you can go to a class for half a day or something like that, you know. <clears throat> There's not a lot of real-life situational stuff that they can teach you. Right. You know, Um one thing that Texas does is they've got the Texas Youth Hunting Program for getting kids out and ranches. People donate um, places for kids to go, and it's kind of a joint thing between Parks and Wildlife and the, the TYHP program, TW, Texas Wildlife Association, all that. But um, that's an awesome program for getting kids out, and they get hands-on instruction at these. It's minimal cost. I mean, they're they're cheap to take your kids out. I mean, fifty to hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. They can go harvest some really nice animals and. Uh, uh, but they get a lot of that real life instruction at those camps. That's important because all the hunt masters and stuff that they have, and uh, and uh, um, so there was there was one other one other guy that's kind of been that y'all have videos from every once in a while it was Ted Miller. Yeah. So who who is Ted? I mean, where'd y'all? This guy is really intriguing to me. In every video I've seen him do on the hunting public, especially the one that. He did this year with the his red October mm-hmm. deer. Ted's awesome. He's a mentor to us. Um, we were actually watching Ted back when he um, worked with White Knuckle Productions several years ago. He was producing videos there. He's actually produced videos for Tom Miranda and some of his shows as well over the years. And uh, I just reached out to him one day when I was at Midwest Whitetail and i i got his contact information from todd pregnance at the time at mm-hmm. white knuckle and uh i emailed him and just said you know hey man we love what you're doing and a fan of the way you go about things and uh just asked him because at the time he was doing a lot of horizontal rub stuff and i was interested in that I'm like could you give us any tips for one because we're thinking about putting one out and that was back in 2015 2014 at midwest whitetail he's like well i'll just film you guys a video and you all can use it if you want or you don't have to or whatever and i'll just send it to you so he sent me a video and we've been friends ever since yeah and uh yeah he's just a he's a super interesting guy just to go and hang out with you know and talk to about deer hunting in general especially deer hunting in iowa Mm -hmm. because ted has been there hunting in the same general area of Iowa for 40 some years, you know, maybe slightly even longer than that. Yeah, but wow. I mean, he's, he talks about farms that he hunted 30 some years ago in that general area and talks about how, you know, deer hunting has changed in different parts of the County and so, and so on and so forth. And it's just very, very interesting, but he's a super, super humble guy. Super humble guy. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's killed more big big bucks than anybody I know. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, the horizontal rub things I never seen before until I seen him doing that. And yeah, the, um, since we've been up here this week, I've actually worked on the spot where we hunt at my wife's mom's place. Um, I'm gonna try one next season. Yeah, and see see how it does because we. I mean, there's there's a lot of deer, big deer around mm-hmm. here. So he's had tremendous success with it, but. Every year, you know, he's on these giant bucks, and every once in a while he harvests one of them and go into his house. He's got 
just huge bucks and huge sheds everywhere. But he's just the most humble guy ever. Yeah. Like he doesn't. The best kind. Yep. So that's cool. So, so, uh, um, how's, uh, I mean, on the business side of things, how's the apparel game going for you guys? I know a lot of times that's a, a hard nut to crack and get into successfully. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of y'all stuff was sold out over Black yeah. Friday, which was pretty cool because I tried to get some stuff on there and it was gone. So. Yeah. And I didn't expect that because this is our first year doing the apparel stuff. Right. And to be honest, the only reason why we started doing the apparel was because we had so many requests for it. Everybody's right. like, when are you going to come out with, you know, THP stuff? I'm like, I don't know anything about making T-shirts. I don't know. I just know how to make videos. Like, yeah. I don't know nothing about that. So, anyway, we spent, like, last spring kind of dabbling it a little bit. And then this last summer, I looked into it a lot more. And uh, went way down the rabbit hole eventually, and and started making a bunch more merch. But it's been it's been going really well so far as part of the business, and something that we're trying to expand on more and more. We're trying to go to some some more shows this year, and actually meet and visit with folks, and and bring t-shirts and hats and hoodies and whatnot along, if if they want them, you know. But the Black Friday deal was scary for for us. Yeah. Because I didn't have any idea we would move as many orders as we did. And, you know, I was thinking, because Mindy handles a lot of that stuff, the customer service side of things, and so do I. I mean, I replied to a lot of emails, and so does she on the customer service end. And I was thinking, you know, we'll have a few hundred orders on Black Friday. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea how this will go. And, yeah, it was nuts. We sold out of everything in like a day. <laughs> And then it's like, holy cow, how are we going to get this to all these people? Yeah. You know, because we had no idea we were going to move that amount of stuff. And uh, so, yeah, that was a it was a learning experience, put it that way. Yeah. I ordered some stuff and then told my wife to wrap it up for me for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Appreciate so, that. Yeah, got me a Longbird sticker. So Cool. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, apparel is something, whew, yeah, that's a big uh a big adventure in itself for a lot of people. So it's good that y'all are doing that. And and it helps, man. I mean, you start seeing stuff. I mean, um, you know, with my charter business, we were at ICAST one year, I think it was 2015, and ran, we were trying to find some place that would make us some, some hats and stuff. We come across this company, uh, Legendary. It's the best baseball hat I've ever, ever mm-hmm. worn. Fits good. So I was like, yeah, we'll order some. And all my clients wanted them. So, I mean, we were gone in, like, two months. Yeah. You know, so I had to order some more. So, every year we have to order. And uh, it's cool now because everybody wears that stuff. You see it in pictures. I mean, that damn hat's been all over the world. Right. And uh, it's the same thing, I mean, with y'all stuff. You you know, you'll see it's everywhere. And, and uh, so, that's kind of cool, you know. It's been so, an adventure so far. Yeah. So, well, is there anything else um, – you know, big hunts that y'all are states or y'all are really wanting to go to or coming up in the future? I mean, I know we talked about Texas, but is anywhere you've always wanted to go hunting in the U.S. just haven't got to go yet? Oh, I mean. Besides e- everywhere? Everywhere. Everywhere. All different areas. I mean, I want to go to Maine and snow track bucks. That just looks fun as heck. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I want to go into all those different western states and hunt elk at some point. Hopefully, we'll get to hunt whitetails in every state in canada at some point 
Yeah. And same with turkeys. We're getting ready to go to Mississippi this week. And that'll be the first time we deer hunt down there. That'll be fun. And then uh, we'll be going back to Arizona to hunt over-the-counter coos deer. Yeah, I seen that hunt last year. That, that looked like a lot of fun. That is really fun. So, Super fun. Yeah. Um, what about Alaska? Any of the guys I've been, been fishing there? in Alaska. Been, yeah. Haven't hunted up there yet. My buddy Scott Bruca has hunted up there a good amount. Yeah. And uh, that's definitely kind of a bucket list item. Yeah, I'm but sitting here in the kitchen. There's a, there's a black, black bear, bear right there. behind me staring at me. Yeah, a black uh, bear hide up there. from? That's not mine. That's my roommate. Uh, That's my roommate, Josh <coughs> Neville's bear. I've I've filmed some bear hunts, but I haven't ever harvested one. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my dad's brother. Uh, they lived in Anchorage for like 30 years, and uh, he he was a grizzly bear guide up there mm-hmm. for a long time. Uh, he was a uh, and then he welded he was up on the north slope, worked up there, and then he guide during the summertime. And uh, you talk about some stories. Oh, I bet. Oh man, yeah, he. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty pretty crazy there hunting those you, grizzly bears up there. So you have to be I think, brave to do that. I think his last hunt he did, he was showing me some pictures. Um, it was probably ten years ago when he did his last one. But uh, um, they were hunting one bear in particular, and uh, they usually have two to three weeks with with the client and uh, um, track this thing for a while finally got on them and then another bear showed up and they got into it that bear killed the bear they were after wow and uh basically drug him back into his den or whatever and they had to leave they came back the next day and uh waited all day for that bigger bear to stand up and they finally got him. i think it took four four rounds to put him down holy but cow it was a monster I mean, it was like 13 foot <sighs> You talk. I was like, hey. one thing, you know, and, and he's got he's got a he's got a, a big grizzly rug in his house, and it is on like three walls in the ceiling. Yeah, you know, stretched out. I mean, those things are just Huge. insane. But um, that's I don't know. That's one thing I've never really thought about hunting was was bear. Nah. So, but uh, everything else. So I spent a lot of time in uh, um, in Germany as an exchange student when I was in high school, and. uh one of my best friends now who's my exchange partner over there his his dad was in charge of the forestry department and uh he was in charge of all the hunting and the fishing so it was absolutely perfect you know to have that opportunity and uh so i got to go i didn't hunt but i got to go out with some guys that hunted because it's very uh, you got to go through a lot you have to be in a, a hunting club and you have to pay for each animal after you harvest it if you want to keep it otherwise it goes to the state and they sell it and it's a nothing, lot different than nothing like here. what we have yeah it's very restrictive and it's small you know it's not there's not a lot of um people that do it over there so but uh they were we were hunting a a, a small deer called a row of buck a little bitty i mean smaller than our hill country deer i mean a little four corn was a monster and uh, i think i went out three or four times and we finally went out on the last day of the season and uh we hadn't even seen one yet he's like you want to go and i was like yeah let's go <laughs> you know after getting done from school and, and uh, so we ran out and uh we weren't in the the little blind they had made more than five minutes and he did some call some like little friction call or something and we heard a animal respond and out come walking, I thought it was a little dog. I mean, it's not even that big. And he's like, this is a monster. <laughs> and 
and uh, so he shot it, and we we got it, and uh, um, it was so cool being over there in another country, because after he harvests that animal, I mean, there was so much traditional stuff they do. I mean, nobody does here. Right. I mean, we, you know, where they harvest the heart, and the, the liver, and uh, they find a certain spruce tree, break off a branch and put it in the deer, and then one in your hat, and and uh, it was kind of cool seeing something different like that. That's interesting. And uh, he ended up having one of the antlers made into a letter opener for me, so I still got that. That's cool. Which is pretty pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, little souvenir from that hunt um but uh yeah so well man uh we've been on here for over an hour so oh really yeah <laughs> oh, I'll be um i guess uh i mean everybody knows to find you guys on youtube but what are some of the other stuff people can get with y'all on follow along um, adventures podcast the hunting public youtube amazon prime facebook instagram we're on Twitter. Yeah. All of the major social media stuff. So how does the Amazon stuff work? Did y'all go to them or did they come to you or how, no, how did that come about? We went to them and uh, you have to submit a certain number of titles to them. They have to be reviewed and then they either approve them for distribution or not. And uh, it's a lot different and more entailed than YouTube. Yeah. You have to upload batches at one time, and then they go through and they either approve them or, you know, deny your request to post. So we usually don't post to Amazon very often. We post two batches a year, usually like this fall's deer stuff. If you want to watch current THP stuff, YouTube is the best place. Right. But a lot of the fall's deer stuff we will – repurpose slightly and then post to amazon in february so yeah. all of the videos from the deer tour will go up on amazon in february mm -hmm. and then all of the videos from the turkey tour will go up on amazon in june yeah july so that's cool that's where i found you guys yeah it was on amazon just scrolling through there um one day i was like hmm, what's this clicked on it and uh yeah you can ask my wife it's we watch a ton of it that's I awesome do, so appreciate um, it Amazon's been good. It's a growing platform for sure. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, um, so what um, – if somebody wanted to come out and meet you guys in person, I know we talked a little bit about the NWTF convention coming up mm -hmm. in February. Y'all are going to be there. Yep. Right? For the sportsman show. Y'all – what other shows do y'all normally attend? Well, we're, we're looking just, at – We're just getting into it. We'll be at the Minnesota Deer Classic in March, and we'll be at the Iowa Deer Classic in March of this year and then hopefully we can figure out this trade show stuff in these first few shows and then next year we can schedule a bunch more and we may try to do a couple more this summer but i'm not sure where just yet mm -hmm. but we're definitely going to be in nashville for nwtf des moines for iowa deer classic and then oh dang it i can't remember where the minnesota deer classic is but we'll be there yeah yeah they've got the big texas trophy hunter association show down in texas and they do those and the Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, and um, they've been doing one in Corpus, I think. I think they're doing four a year now. They're all in August, first August, I think. But um, I see. What, I don't know. Find out who y'all need to talk to about coming down there. Yeah. It's the uh, summertime. We can definitely work in some fishing. I'm game for that, man, for sure. So, well, Aaron, uh, thank you so much for, for being on with us. And um, got any parting thoughts for anybody out there? listening about 
Uh, no, not really. Get out and go hunting. Take somebody new with you. That'll work. So, all right. Well, we appreciate it, Aaron. Thanks, thanks for being on. Yeah, no problem. All right. Hey, thanks again, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of the Impact Outdoors podcast. Really hope you enjoyed this this conversation and and uh, continue to follow along with us as we re- release new new conversations with uh, people from all over the hunting and fishing industry and and uh, looking forward to, to next week's episode. Uh, follow along with us on Instagram and on our website at impactoutdoorspodcast.com where you can also leave us a leave us a comment and suggestion for a future episode so we'd love to hear who you'd like to hear on the show and we'll do our best to, to get them on and, and uh, make that happen for you um, we'd also like to ask since we're starting out you know um, to hit the subscribe button hit the like button and uh, that'll help us get found easier by new new listeners every week and, and i really want to grow this audience and, and uh, see how big we can get this thing and, and uh, reach as many people as we can so Once again, thanks, and we'll catch you on the next episode.